be reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. That's John chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It reads, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one came to do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless he is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're very grateful for the opportunity that we have always to come together, and we hope and pray that our time today has been beneficial and profitable, and we appreciate Danton leading our singing today. I know Brother Billy appreciates Danton filling in and leading, and we're very proud of Danton and look forward to him being back with us very soon. It won't be long. He will be living with us again, and so look forward to that very much, very much so. I do want to mention, I was talking to Robin just a moment ago, as many of you know, uh, the prison system in Mississippi is on lockdown, and she has asked that we remember those who are, those who are incarcerated in our prayers, specifically remember, if you would, Eric and Haley. Uh, right now, no visitors, and uh, it's a very, duff, a very difficult time, I would say. Uh, my understanding is they're having gang wars in the men's prisons, and so it's, a, it's just a tough, tough situation. So we want to keep them in our prayers at this time. Tonight, I want to begin a study with you in John chapter 3, and I want to invite you to look with me to John chapter 3 in our study. I do want to say we appreciate so much those of you who are visiting. As always, we encourage you to come back. We are grateful to those of you that have chosen to come back tonight. What a great way to start the new year. And we want to do our best to be here every time the doors are open. And the reason is because we believe it helps us to become more like Christ and to certainly it shows our love for the Lord and our desire to do what's right. And we are encouraging to one another as we come together. In our study tonight, I want to look at John chapter 3. I want you to think with me for a moment or two about an individual by the name of Nicodemus who had the opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one interview with Jesus. Imagine if you had just a few minutes alone with Jesus. Do you think it would be, do you think it would be something that would create a lasting impression in your life? Do you think that the time that maybe you were afforded in the presence of Jesus would have given you the opportunity to ask questions maybe that have been burning in your mind about Him? Would it be the case that as you interviewed the Lord, you would stand in amazement at all that you heard him say to you. I can't imagine the opportunity that Nicodemus had in the first century. But Nicodemus had 
the privilege of sitting down with Jesus and spending, as we would say, some quiet time with the Lord. And so I want us to look at John chapter 3. There are a number of things that really grow out of a study of this chapter. I'm not sure we're going to get through the entirety of our lesson tonight because there, there is a lot of information couched in this chapter. And so I want us to just take our time and look at this interview because I think that there are a lot of things that, that emerge from a study of John chapter 3. And so I want to begin by, first of all, talking about an investigation of Jesus. And I want to begin by saying it behooves all of us to investigate the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? We ought to have a desire to know more about the Lord, to learn more about Him. Nicodemus wanted the opportunity to ask Jesus some questions, to talk to Him, to listen to Him, to be in His presence. In other words, he wanted a sit-down interview. He wanted an investigation. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, sadly, that never take the time to investigate what the Bible has to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have four biographical sketches of the life of Jesus. There is, an, there is a great amount of supplemental information contained in those gospel narratives. And what the writers do, and they are writing by inspiration, as you well know, they provide us with a portrait of Jesus. They give us a glimpse into his life, don't they? And so when we come to John chapter 3 and we read about this man by the name of Nicodemus, first of all, we read something about this man's influence. Note, if you would, what is said in verse 1. John said, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, the name Nicodemus is a Greek name, and it means a conqueror of people, which I think might suggest that Nicodemus had roots in Grecian culture. And this man, according to John the Apostle, was first and foremost a religious man. He was a Pharisee. The sect of Pharisees came about some two centuries before Jesus. Some have said that the Pharisees, and the word Pharisee means a separatist. And some would say that they came about as a result of Hellenistic influence, in other words, to try to offset that. The Pharisees were chided by Jesus on a number of occasions, and they would often bind their traditions on people, and the Lord Jesus chided them for that. Now, while the Pharisees and the scribes fell under severe condemnation by Jesus on a number of occasions, Nicodemus is an exception. Because I think when you read the Scriptures, Nicodemus was a good man. And so he was a religious man. He was a, he was a Jew. And he enjoyed a covenant relationship with the Lord. And the Bible says not only was he a religious man, but he was a ruler. A ruler of the Jews, according to verse 1. Now when you look at the Scriptures, 
It's evident Nicodemus was a part of the Sanhedrin Council. That Jewish Supreme Court, that governing body. And they had tremendous power. That body consisted of about 70 to 71 individuals made up of many Pharisees and Sadducees. Some would say that the Sadducees outweighed the Pharisees in terms of numbers on that council. The Sadducees were the aristocrats. They were the wealthy in the first century. So Nicodemus is a man of great influence. He is a religious man. He is a, he is a man noted for authority. He is a ruler. But note, if you would, his interest. In verse 2, John said, This man came to Jesus by night. Now, there are a lot of folks that wonder, why did he come at night? Was it because he was afraid of what might be said? I think it's the case. I think it very well could be the case that Nicodemus came at night because he had responsibilities during the day. And so he set aside a period of time at night to come and to sit down with the Lord and to interview Him and to learn more about Him. So he reaches out to Jesus. And you think about the faith of Nicodemus. The fact that here is a guy that has a lot of influence. He is well known in the community. He's got tremendous power, and yet he's interested in Jesus. He wants to know more about Jesus, and so he comes to him by night. And note, if you would, what the text has to say. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now I would take this to mean that there was a realization on the part of Nicodemus that Jesus was something very special. Because, number one, he acknowledges him as a teacher come from God. And then he speaks of the signs. Now in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are about 35 signs recorded as being performed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you remember John said in John chapter 20, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples. We don't have an entire catalog of all the signs that Jesus performed. The Gospel of John provides insight into seven very specific signs or miracles performed by Jesus. But I want to just spend a moment or two and talk about three words very quickly. Miracles, wonders, and signs. You remember in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached on Pentecost Day. And he stood before the children of Israel and he said, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know. The word miracle in the original, is dunamis. And that word means a mighty work. It underscores the mighty power of God, doesn't it? So when we talk about a miracle, we're talking about that which is supranatural. It is out of the ordinary, isn't it? 
In other words, when Jesus walked on water, that was a miracle, wasn't he? Wasn't it? When he turned water into wine, again, that was a miracle. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, again, that was a miracle. But then there is a second term, the word wonders. And the word wonder denotes the effect that has been produced. In other words, when Jesus performed the miraculous and when the apostles performed the miraculous, that created wonder or awe, didn't it? In other words, it caused people to step back and say, whoa, wait a minute. This is, this is out of the ordinary. This is something very unusual. You remember in Acts chapter 2 when the apostles had received that baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And those who were present said, they asked the question, how is it that we hear every man speak in our own language? That was the effect of that outpouring of the Spirit, wasn't it? And then there is a third term, and that is signs. Now, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs which you do. The word sign means a mark, a token. And the idea is that when Jesus performed the various signs or miracles in his ministry, what did that do? That was a token, a mark, a manifestation of his deity, wasn't it? In other words, it enabled people to recognize this is who, this is who God has sent to redeem the human family, the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer. And so when you read the gospel narratives, and you think about Jesus and the many miracles that He performed. Was it not the case that after, after performing signs or miracles that people would believe in Him? Do you remember in John chapter 5 when Jesus said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. In Mark 16, when, when Jesus gave the Great Commission and he talked about those accompanying signs that would be performed by the apostles. He said that they would confirm the Word. And so the signs confirmed or authenticated the claims of Jesus, that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. So here's Nicodemus. And he is now in the presence of Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, we know that your teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, he identified him as a teacher come from God. Why do you think he identified him as an esteemed teacher? Do you think maybe it had something to do with the incomparable teaching of Jesus? I mean, had there ever been anyone like Jesus up until this point in time in history? There had been some great teachers, great prophets of God in days gone by. We can go back and look at some of the great prophets like Elijah and Elisha and others. And yet, 
Their teaching was not on the plane of Jesus, was it? Was it not said in John chapter 7, verse 46 about Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man? There was something different about him. And so I think about the fact that his teaching was incomparable. But then secondly, it was authoritative. It was on a different plane or plateau, wasn't it? For example, you remember in Matthew chapter 7, after Jesus preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would say on a number of occasions, you have heard that it's been said by them of old time, but I say unto you, Jesus there inserting His divine authority. And so in chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, the Bible says that those who were present on that occasion were astonished at His teaching. Why? Because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And so there was recognition that Jesus was an incomparable teacher and He was an authoritative teacher. And Nicodemus identifies him as a teacher. Listen to him. He said, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Everything Jesus did and taught was in perfect concert with the will of the Father, wasn't it? Jesus would say in John chapter 7, my doctrine is not my own. In other words, his doctrine originated with the Father, didn't it? Now, I want you to move from that with me and think in the second place. Well, let me just pause here for a moment or two. thought of another thing I want to share. I mentioned the fact that he reached out to Jesus, and he did. And then there is this realization that Jesus is someone very special. And when it's all said and done, you and I have to come to a realization about the identity of Jesus, don't we? We've got to somewhere along, along the course of life, we have to formulate a conclusion about the identity of Jesus. Nicodemus is in that exploratory phase, as we would say. In other words, he's exploring the Lord Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with investigating and exploring what the Bible has to say about the Christ. But what we want to do is come to the correct understanding of who Jesus is. Now you can read about the life of Nicodemus, and as you read, for example, the book of John, there is a progression of faith. Right here in John chapter 3, we have that faith in bud form, so to speak, in seed form. But it's going to begin to bud and blossom. And you'll read that throughout the entirety of the gospel narratives. So, what is our realization or our understanding about Jesus? Who do you think He is? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nicodemus on this occasion identified Him as a teacher come from God. Now, secondly, note if you would the declaration by Jesus. In verse 3, Jesus is now going to talk about the necessity of the new birth. Now, back up and look at verse 2 for a moment again. Listen again to what 
Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Who do you think the we is in this verse? He uses the plural, doesn't he? Obviously, Nicodemus has been conversing with either some of his fellow members of the Sanhedrin, some of his fellow Pharisees, but they've been batting this thing around. They've been discussing the work of Jesus, the signs of Jesus, and the things that Jesus has been doing in his ministry. And their conclusion is, look, you're a teacher come from God because you're doing all these great signs. And so, in verse 3, after Nicodemus makes this acknowledgement, Jesus jumps right into the new birth. Now, when you look at the teaching of Jesus, one of the things that he spends an inordinate amount of time on in his ministry is the kingdom of God, isn't it? Do you remember when he began his public ministry in Matthew chapter 4? The Bible says he began preaching the very same message that John the Baptist did. And what was that message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So listen to what Jesus said. Most assuredly, or verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus, he's not thinking about a spiritual birth, is he? Nicodemus has come for the purpose of interviewing Jesus, learning more about him. And the Lord Jesus is going to give him a lot to chew on, as we say. And so Nicodemus, when, when instructed by Jesus with regard to the new birth, he asked the question, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, the answer to that is, you can't. Jesus was not talking about a physical birth, was he? And so he said, Verily, verily, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now I want to just talk a minute or two about the obligation of the new birth. And I want to be very upfront and clear because the Lord Jesus is very clear in this context. We're stressing the necessity of the new birth. It is not optional. It is a divine obligation. That's what Jesus said. Now, drop down and look if you would. In verse 6, Jesus said, That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, listen to him, you must be born again. When you use the word must, is that optional or is it an obligation? It's an obligation, isn't it? Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, this year we've got 52 weeks that we're going to be memorizing Scripture. In John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5, we have our first two verses for the new year. 
I know, I'm getting some confused looks. Because on the list, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4 pops up. Well, I didn't put those in, in, in any chronological order. Sorry about that. But look, if you've already memorized Ezekiel 18, 4, you've got a jump start on the year. How about that? 18, what was, what did I say? 18.4, okay, my bad. 18.20, that's right, 18.4, the soul that sins, it shall die, okay. All right, well, you got to jump start on the new year. So, so anyway, our first two verses, John chapter 3, verse 3, and verse 5. And what I want to encourage all of us to do Commit those verses to memory because people are going to be asking you, they're going to be talking to you about baptism. And there are going to be a lot of folks that are going to say, do you mean to tell me I have to be baptized into Jesus Christ? You know the best way to answer somebody? Quote Jesus. Give them a verse. Listen again to what Jesus said. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, the new birth, it is not optional, it is an obligation. And I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the objective of the new birth. In other words, why is it so important that people be baptized into Jesus Christ. Well, I think I can give you a biblical reason for that. Number one, because baptism affords us the opportunity to enjoy the remission of sins. Your sins are not remitted until you're baptized into Jesus Christ. So if somebody were to ask you, why then do I have to be baptized into Jesus Christ? Well, the reason is because if you want to be forgiven, you've got to be baptized. Now Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. On Pentecost Day, you remember they wanted to know, after hearing the gospel preached for the very first time in its fullness, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, listen to him, for the remission of sins. Now, let's just stop there for a minute. Salvation is in Christ, is it not? Salvation is in Christ, and salvation is in the church of Christ. But it's the church that belongs to Christ. All the saved are in Christ. And all those who are in Christ are in the church. Now, Jesus said, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, unless a person is baptized into Christ, experiences the new birth, Number one, he's not forgiven. Number two, he's not a part of the kingdom. Now in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. Verse 47, the text tells us, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, by one spirit 
were you all baptized into one body? What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So, the objective of the new birth is to put us in Christ and to put us in the kingdom of Christ. We spent several Sundays talking about the importance of being in Christ and in the church. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5.23, Jesus is the Savior of the body, isn't He? So if we're not in the body, if we're not in the kingdom, if we're not in the church, we're not among the saved. So think about what Jesus is saying. He's talking. He's talking to Nicodemus here. And He is revealing unto him some very important things about spiritual needs, the needs of all people. Now, is this relevant today? Is this still good Scripture? Sure it is. So I think about the necessity of the new birth, but then what about the nature of the new birth? Now Jesus said, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The source of the new birth. In other words, how do we know what to do to become a child of God? If somebody were to ask you, what do you need to do? What do, what do, what do I need to do to become a Christian? What would you say? Would you say, well, I just feel like you need to do this. Or I think maybe you ought to do this. What we need to do is say, look, here's what the Bible says. And I want, to be, I want you to be I want you to be very careful when you talk to people. I want us to be very careful. Because when we talk to people, what we got to do is say this. If we can't find it in Scripture, we need to leave it alone, don't we? If you can't read in the Bible, if you can't read in black and white, if you can't read it, then you need to reject it, don't you? So, the source of the new birth is Scripture. The Holy Spirit, you remember Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, He's talking to the apostles in chapters 14 through 16. And He said, when the Spirit of truth is come, He'll guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit has given us all truth, hasn't He? All truth is recorded where? In the Bible. So when I want to know what the Bible teaches about salvation, about the church, about the saved, etc., where do I go? I go to the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is the last will and testament of the Lord. If I can't find it in the Bible, I don't need to be, I don't need to be following it, do I? So the Scripture... Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 very quickly. Look at 1 Peter 1. I want you to see something. Note the connection in 1 Peter 1 to John chapter 3. In verse 22, Peter said, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now listen to him. Having been born again, all right, by what? Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. 
What are you saying, Peter? He's saying that God's Word, the Gospel, that message that was given by the Holy Spirit, is the instrument by which we come to understand what to do to become a child of God. Now you might say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Or you might say, I believe that God exists. But what do you know about God and Jesus Christ with regard to their will for you outside this book? You don't know anything, do you? So when we talk about becoming a child of God, what's the source by which we come to understand what we need to do to become a Christian? It's God's Word, isn't it? That's why Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. If somebody can't show you in the Bible what they believe and practice, then that's very telling, isn't it? By the same token, if we can't show somebody what the Bible teaches, then that's a reflection on us. And so we have to be taught. Jesus said it's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Every man therefore that hath heard and learned of the Father comes unto me. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So you mean to tell me when, when we submit to the new birth, that there is a process of teaching that takes place absolutely. You remember in Acts chapter 8 when the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, he'd been to Jerusalem to worship, he's on his way back home. He's reading about the suffering servant. Philip joins him in the chariot. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And what did, the, what did the eunuch say? How can I accept some man guide me? And the Bible says that Philip got up into the chariot and beginning at that same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. Do you think he needed to know something more about Jesus? Yes. Philip had the opportunity to share the content of the gospel with the eunuch. So when we talk to people about becoming a child of God, there's more to it than being baptized into Christ. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be willing to repent of your sins. You've got to know something about the necessity of being baptized, the reason for being baptized. And by the way, I hear people today talk about baptism as an outward sign of an inward faith. That's not biblical. It's not even in the Bible. Baptism is for the remission of sins. All right, go back very quickly and look at John chapter 3. Our time's almost gone. Our time's gone. My voice is gone. I want to just very quickly talk about the subject of the new birth. Look at verse 8. Jesus said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus here is talking about the subject of the new birth. The subject of the new birth is the inward man. In other words, we have an inward man and an outward man. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The outward man's perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talked about serving God with his spirit. The comparison here is to the wind, that invisible element of creation. When we're baptized into Christ, when we go down in the water and come up out of the water, does anything change about us physically? Do we change color? 
Do we change in height, in weight? No, nothing changes like that. The subject of the new birth is the inner man. So here's Nicodemus. He has this opportunity to meet with Jesus. And Jesus is talking to him about the new birth. And Jesus is saying to this man who is extremely interested in learning more about him, look, Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you something about my kingdom. You've got to submit to the new birth in order to be a part of my kingdom. Now, next week I want to pick up and look at what the Lord has to say a little bit more in this context. And I want us to go back and note an Old Testament illustration that he uses, and then he's going to correlate that with the cross. And so we're going to do that next week in our study. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to be baptized into Him so that all your sins can be washed away. If you're here tonight, and for whatever reason, your life's not what it ought to be, and you need to be back in fellowship with God, as people look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.